Meg did such a great job last week. I was not here, but I did listen to the message online, and you should do so if you weren't here. Uh, there are some churches in our city uh, that will not allow women to preach from a pulpit. Uh, we are not one of those church churches, and I am not ashamed to say that. I'm thankful for the anointing that God put on her in her life and her calling, and I thought that message was powerful. It meant something to me. I'm thankful for, for you and all the stuff that you do, and thankful that you stood in my place. Um, she talked last week about Moses and Joshua and the necessity for the presence of God. And uh, making that a priority in our lives. Today, I'm getting to take the next step. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Joshua. And about the conquest of the first city in the promised land. Anybody ever remember in from Sunday school learning about the walls of Jericho? And how they fell, right? And the trumpets blew and they fell down and God gave them victory. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But I want to give you some context because I really, truly believe, and I know that our home folk appreciate this, that we are a church that preaches the word of God so that you get to know the word of God and get to know the God of the word. Amen? Because his character matters. What he's done in the past, he can do in the future. He can do in my life today. And so I I hold on to that truth. So we give you context. Today, it might feel a little disjointed. We're going to go into a weird little place at the start. I'm telling you up front. And then we're going to go right into Jericho. And you'll see the connection shortly. Numbers chapter 33. Let's read verse 50 through 56. Verse 50 says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, we'll say river, okay, at Jericho, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, Then you shall drive out all of the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones. This would be places of worship, things that they worship. Destroy their metal images and demolish all their high places. This is important for us to understand what God is telling him here. He's saying you're going to go into the land of Canaan and drive out the inhabitants and take down all of their stuff. Verse 53, and you shall take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given the land to you to possess it. Now we skip verse 54 and go to verse 55. It says, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then those of them whom you let remain shall be as barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall trouble you in the land where you dwell. Verse 56, and I will do to you as I thought to do to them. So God has some very strong words to Moses or through Moses to Joshua to be able to understand really what the strategy is of going in and taking the land for the people of Israel. Go to Joshua chapter 1, and we've got all the verses on the screen in case I go too fast for you. I am reading from the English Standard Version. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant. If you remember last week's message, Meg shared in that message that 
Joshua was be, he was being apprenticed by Moses. He was there as an apprentice to Moses, and he actually stayed in the presence of God. So he's the rightful person who's going to take over the, the walk in the shoes of Moses. Verse two, it says this, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. We serve a promise-keeping God. Amen? There are many things that God never does. And you say, wait a second, I thought God's all-powerful. He does, yes, he does lots of things, but there are some things he never does. He never fails, amen? He never breaks a promise. So today, I want to set the stage for you in the message, and the title is on the screen, Don't Stop Short. When we talk about context in the Word of God, many people, hear me well, because I'm going to teach you something this morning that you might not be aware of. Many people look at the conquest of the promised land, and they view that as some sort of indiscriminate genocide. That God just told his people to go murder all these people and you take over their land and you inhabit their land. People have a problem reconciling that with the nature of God who is loving and just and kind. And how could he, what does this mean? And so they look at it as some sort of indiscriminate, just go in and kill everything and everyone. But I want to give you some context that will help you understand. See, the command that was given to them was the things and the people were devoted to destruction. And this is focused on the giant clans. Now you say giant clans. Anybody remember the story of Goliath? Okay. So there's a very interesting, strange, mysterious part of God's word that actually is a thread that runs all the way through scripture. And I'm going to give you just some highlights today of what that is. And I would encourage you to dig deeper because I truly believe there is an unseen realm, unseen by the human eye, that is very real. It's as real as you and I are. There is a spiritual context to our lives. There are things that happen and occur in the spiritual realm or the spirit world. And we say, oh, I thought we were like done with that. Jesus has come and everything's okay. Well, why would Paul be telling the people in his letters in the New Testament that your weapons are not of the flesh, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds of the principalities and powers and rulers in these, in the heavenly realms? So there's something very strange that happens outside of the normal context of humanity. And we're going to look at just a little bit of a peek of that. When I say giant clans, you can find them in the word of God by using the words Anakim, Rephaim, and Nephilim. Anytime you see those three peoples mentioned in the Old Testament, and we do have some modern, well, modern to the New Testament uh, references to those same sorts of people. This is a giant clan of people. They were oversized and there was a spiritual and natural mixture to their DNA. The, the idea behind devoting these things to destruction was to eliminate these giant clans from the land. 
Well, how do we get these giant clans? I'll talk to you about that in a second. The people that are talked about, though, the Anakim, the Rephaim, and the Nephilim, they were perceived to be, and the, the Old Testament seems to tell us, that they were raised up by rivals, spiritual rivals of God, that are hostile to God in order to thwart him having his kingdom on the earth. So they were there and they were in the way of God's plan. And God said, I've devoted them to destruction. I want you to drive them out and destroy them and get rid of them so that you can have the land that I'm giving to you. So other people were certainly killed in the midst of all of that, but the giant clans had been scattered throughout the populations in those days. The reasoning behind this conquest for the promised land, this is something really important for you to know, was to eradicate or eliminate those that were the enemies of God. He still wants to do that today. Let me say this very clearly. Our God is not a murderer. He is by nature a creator, not a destroyer. Sure, he can, and yes, he has, and he is a judge as well. But we have got to understand that God is not a murderer and then says, Hey, Moses, write these down and tell the people, Yo, thou shalt not murder. You've got to understand God's direction or his directive rather in the midst of them going into the promised land was to get rid of the enemies. And in fact, that's what God tells Moses and Joshua. If you don't get rid of them, like I'm telling you to, you're going to have major problems. And we do see that there are some major problems that creep up. So go to Genesis chapter six. I'll give you a little bit more context before we go into Jericho. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, it says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, verse 2 says, The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they chose. The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in a man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Verse 4, the Nephilim, this is one of the terms, were on the earth in those days, and pay attention to the next phrase, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now, if you go back one verse to verse 3, when it talks about, or actually verse four right there, it says, the sons of God came into the daughters of man. That's giving us the understanding that they procreated. Okay. They had children. This term, I don't know what version of the Bible you're reading, but there is much discussion about the term. Some translators have chosen to use the word angels in this place of sons of God. But you're going to find out there are sons of God mentioned all throughout the Old Testament. These are not angels that do God's bidding because they would have been breaking God's law. These are beings that serve on something that we know in Scripture called the divine counsel of God. You see, I thought that just meant wisdom. No, it's actually talking about spiritual beings that were there in the council of God. Now, I'm giving you this context so you understand why they're going to Jericho and why that's a hard thing to do. Look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, 
verse 7 through 9. It says, remember the days of old. Now, let me give you a little context. Deuteronomy 32. This is Moses speaking. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. It's really interesting stuff because it's not about angels. It's about divine beings. It's about spiritual or supernatural beings. He divided and fixed the borders of the people according to the numbers of the sons of God. Verse 9, but the Lord's portion, verse 9, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. So in other words, in this divine counsel, which you can look through scripture and find evidence of in Psalms and in in the prophets and in other places, you will see that God has given them a portion, an inheritance, but he has chosen for himself a people. And I love, we talk about it all the time. Why did he pick Israel? Because it was great, because it was beautiful, because it was strong, because it was powerful. No, the word of God says God picked them because he wanted to. And I've got good news for you. Even if you're not Jewish, God says you can come into his family as well. You can be redeemed as well and be part of his allotted heritage. You say, the, the Bible is weirder than I thought, Pastor. Psalm 82, verse 1 through 4, it says this. You're going to have to go back and look at these notes or do some study yourself. Verse 1, it says, this is a psalm of Asaph. It says, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, small g, he holds judgment. Notice it doesn't say angels, he holds judgment, but it says in the divine council, in the midst of the gods, you say, wait a second, wait, there are more than one God. What are you talking about, pastor? Dig into God's word. It's a really interesting place. It doesn't change what we believe today, but it helps inform you what they believed then. So verse one says this, God speaking. Okay, so God is going to then speak. Asaph has given you this first verse. And in the second verse, he's quoting God's words in the divine council meeting. So look at what it says. He's talking to those in the divine council. And he says, how long will you judge unjustly and show favoritism to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute rescue the weak and the needy and deliver them from the land or from the hand rather of the wicked so let me sum it up for you like this god now has his allotted people which are the descendants of jacob if you remember anything about jacob's story and all of the trouble that He brought on himself most of it. Um, His name gets changed to what? Does anybody know? You get a dollar if you you know this. No, my wife doesn't count. Who? What? Israel. Okay, great. So yes, Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. So God has now chosen his people, the descendants of Jacob, and he wants them to go in and settle in this land that he has chosen, but there are obstacles in the way. 
Namely, these obstacles that are in the way are the descendants of the, the sons of God. We would call the Nephilim, the Rephaim, or the Anakim. All of those, those descendants are in the land and they must be driven out because they're going to thwart God's, the kickstart of God's kingdom on the earth. Here's the deal. Done with the weird stuff. Do some Bible study, okay? Here's the deal, though. The people of Israel needed to trust him and needed to obey him in order to go into the promised land. Now, I don't want to stretch scripture out and make it something it's not, but I still believe today that God requires your trust and your obedience to him. Many Christians are experiencing things in their life that could be well avoided if they were trusting in God, not themselves, their paycheck, their spouse, their whatever, trusting in God alone and obeying his word. A lot of trouble and heartache and pain could be avoided if the people of God would just act like they the people of God. You right. (laughs) Don't shut me down. All right. So here's the idea. This challenge, I want it to burn in your heart. They saw times as a people in the promised land when they distrusted. In fact, if you really want to know, the reason why they wandered in the desert for 40 years was God was giving them time to die because they didn't believe him. They sent spies into the promised land and they came back. And if you do some research and you pay attention, it says, and when we got there, 10 of them come back or 12 come back, but 10 with a bad report. The Bible translates that in some places bad in a, in the truest translation I find, it says a faithless report. And two came back with full of faith saying, God's got this. We saw giants in the land And we looked like grasshoppers to them and to us. Just there, it's there. Now that you've gotten this context and I've either cleared up or muddied the waters for you, I want to give you some idea of what happens with Jericho. Okay. Joshua chapter three. Let's look at what that says in chapter three, verses 14 to 17. It says, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, then an editor comes in and puts a parenthetical. That's a statement in parentheses to help you understand the context. They're trying to let you know. It says this. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. Okay, so this is not during a drought when there's little water. The writer and the editor are trying to help you understand this is big time. I looked it up. It's a really long river, over 200 miles winding down from the Sea of Galilee all the way down to the Dead Sea eventually. And it goes to a bunch of different like finger little lakes here and there. And at its widest points that we have now today, which could have been wider back then, it's 150 or so feet across. So you imagine mamas with babies, camels, cattle, whatever, all of your belongings, tents, and all of that stuff for hundreds of thousands of people to cross a river. Like God's got to do something big in order to even get them in the land in the first place. 
So he sends his presence before them. It says this in verse 16. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away. At It says Adam, but it's pronounced Adam. It's an actual city. The city, it says, that is beside Zarathan and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, which we know today as the Dead Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite from Jericho, like over the Jordan River towards Jericho. Verse 17 says, Now the priest, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the harvest, when all its banks were overflowing, stood on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And it says, And all of Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. So you might be today years old when you just realized, wait, God split two bodies of water? Yes, it was more than the Red Sea when they were on the run from Egypt and all of that stuff. Then they spent years in the in the desert wanderings, okay? Sent, they send the spies in. It should have only been a few months, maybe a year, and they could have gotten into the promised land. The spies come back with a bad report. They get listened to, and because of that distrust in God, now they've been waiting in the desert Essentially, God has been letting them die off because the generation that didn't trust him didn't receive his promise. I grieved when I started going through the thoughts of this message, not in a condemning way, but in a convicting way of what times in my life have I distrusted God and I have avoided walking into a promise that he's had for me. Now, I don't say that so that you just start dwelling on every moment that you think was a missed opportunity, but I'm telling you, if God, as a character trait, if he did behavior like this then, does he not do the same today? The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus Christ, being God, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I've got to understand, yes, God's grace is sufficient and all of those things, but my obedience is a huge key ingredient to this whole thing, right? So we've got to be careful. Listen to what it says. Let me, let me tell you this. This is what I said earlier, but you might not know and understand. The Ark of the Covenant was a box that had items in it that were given to the people of Israel or created by them. And it was a place that was set inside of the tabernacle and later the temple that represented God's physical presence with his people. So the Ark of the Covenant goes before them. And this is a physical representation of God's presence. Okay, look at chapter 6, verse 8. It says, and just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord following them. Okay, so get this in your mind. They've crossed over the Jordan. A couple things have happened in the stuff we're skipping. They've actually celebrated Passover in the promised land. It's a There's some amazing stuff in this story that you didn't get when you were in Sunday school. 
And now God has told Joshua, you're about to take that city. The city of Jericho was a walled city with monstrous walls. It was a small city, but the walls were so imposing that it made people never want to go there that were trying to defeat it. So it was indestructible in some regards. So now God has given Joshua this command, and now they've begun the march, okay? It says, verse 9, The armed men were walking before the priest who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. Verse 10 says, But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth, Until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. Let me stop here for one second and just get on a soapbox really quick and I'll jump right back off. The reason why I teach my kids obedience is yes, so I get my way. (laughs) Okay, so they do, right? I mean, okay, some of you, okay, you got it. But here's the deal. If they learn obedience with me, they'll find it easier to obey him. And I'm trying to teach them. So you say, there's really a command in the Bible that Joshua gave these people, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. It's important that you learn obedience. We got some younger people in here. Just hear me out. Okay, verse 11. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city going about it one time. And they came into the camp and they spent the night in the camp. Now, I can't get over this because I think about it like an Israelite. So where are you guys going today? Hey, we're going to march around, not talking, just blowing the trumpet. And we're going to carry God with us. And they've got some armed guards. And then we're going to come back and have dinner. Sound good? I mean, just put yourself in a practical way in those shoes. Then Joshua in verse 12 rises early in the morning and it says, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually. The ram's horn being blown is a signal for war in the old Testament days in prehistoric, like, you know, primal times back then, whatever you want to call them, they would sound an alarm. There's a time when actually when Joshua says to Moses, it sounds like I hear the sound of war in the camp. It's because this is happening. Trumpets are being blown. So this has got to be unsettling for the people in the city, but they're looking out. These people have been wandering for 40 years. They don't have the best tools, the best weapons. They don't have what you think they should have or what they think they should have. You, You told me to just go and blow my trumpet. Here we go. And the rear guard was walking after them. Look at what it says there. It says in uh, the armed men were walking before them, the rear guard walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And verse 14, and the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. So if you're doing math, they do seven marches on the seventh day and six on the previous six days, they will have gone around the city 13 times. Joshua chapter six, verse 15 says this. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of the day and they marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. 
verse 20 says, So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Verse 21. Here's the the key that we talked about earlier in the weird part. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of the sword. There's an interesting portion in scripture in the Old Testament. Talks about someone taking something that was devoted to destruction and hiding it in the camp of God. God, no doubt, knew before it happened and knew it was going to happen, but bad stuff happened to the people simply because of their disobedience. You say, I thought God was good and gracious and loving and kind. He is all of those things, but he also wants you to mind. (laughs) He wants you to mind him and to do what he asks you to do. Amen? And I know that's a little bit hard for us to swallow sometimes, but I don't want the edge of the sword, which is what he said would come for the people of Israel if they did not do as God commanded. So don't stop short. That's the title of the message today. Don't stop short. Because if God has given you a promise in his word, hold on to it. You may be on the other side of the Jordan at this moment. You might be walking around a desert based on your own disobedience that you've earned yourself. But the walls, when you see the first city and that first moment, you're thinking, "Woo! he just parted the river. We're going in to take the land. We're going to have a party. We're going to have a great celebration. Oh, there's more work to be done. The walls may seem insurmountable in your life, in some obstacle, whether it's your career, whether it's your family, your finances, It could be many different things. But I've come to tell you this. The same thing is true today that was true then. When you worship God, walls fall down. Amen? Walls can be destroyed. And I know that's... uh, you know, political statements of today talking about building one up, but I'm telling you, God makes them fall down. Spiritually speaking, the stuff that goes on in our lives when we are facing what seems to be insurmountable, there's no way. God is the God who makes a way where there is no way. Jericho was not a big city, but its walls were larger than life. And for this group of people who've been wandering around the desert for all this time, they would have seemed insurmountable. In fact, the temptation would have been there for the people of God to distrust and disbelieve him once again. Joshua, only because he made the presence of God a priority, did he know to trust Wait a second, you mean I gotta go around this wall 13 day, 13 times over the course of these days? I, okay, yes, sir. He knew because he had seen and experienced God's presence, he, he knew it was gonna be worth it. And when you know it's gonna be worth it, there's nothing you won't sit through, suffer through, walk through, cause God wants to be with you. Amen? The Bible, I'm going all over the place, but I'm telling you this, it's not in my notes. It's important for you to know. When the guys got thrown into the fire, what did the king say? I see four men. Didn't we throw three in? And the fourth looks like the son of God. 
Because he'll walk with you through fire. He'll get you into the promised land. You've just got to trust and obey. And it's going to take longer than you thought it's going (laughs) to. And I'm sorry to give you that bad news. But the rest of it's all good news. He's going to bring you in to his promise. Amen. So trusting God and obeying him have always been the keys to victory. And they still are. So don't stop short. I remember speaking to a, a woman who I revere and honor in, in my life, Mrs. Tabor. And I don't think she'll hear this message, but she's still alive today. She was a principal of the school that I went to. And I remember her sharing a story about praying for her brother's salvation. And I remember that she was talking about it and she gave this example. She said, what if I prayed for 10 years And in the 11th year, God meant for him to be saved, but I gave up too soon. Her brother saved, serving the Lord today. It's important for us to understand. And that you say, well, God will send someone. He'll do. Yes, it's possible. God does anything he wants to do and send somebody else. But if you have it on your heart, then you are the one to be doing it. So pray. Don't stop short. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says. And I would add to that, worship without ceasing. Don't give up. The promise is just on the other side of this gigantic river with these gigantic walls. And all you got to do is get in. And you don't have anything in your hand. But I'm going to tell you what you do have is more powerful than what you wish you had. I'm preaching today, and this is good to be back here. Number one, here we go. I'm going to give you three quick things about worship as it relates to Jericho. And the worship team, you can make your way up here at any point. No rush. Number one is this. What you face may be bigger than you, but it's not bigger than God. Somebody shout amen. 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 Y'all want to get out of here or not? Shout amen. Okay. What you face may be bigger than you, but it's not bigger than the God you serve. He's bigger than what you face. It's in your perspective. And sometimes our perspective gets blocked by the giant thing that we see in the way but we're not looking over it. And worship has a way of elevating you and pulling you up into his presence to where nothing, that stuff doesn't really matter because you know God's going to take care of it anyway and you just glorify him. And then all of a sudden, as you settle back into the trouble you've been facing, you've got a different attitude. God's got this. I can do this with with his strength, with his might inside of me. Don't be intimidated by what you see in the natural. I'm preaching this message because I just came through a season of being intimidated of what I saw in the natural. But I'm here to tell you, our God is super natural. Amen. He's beyond all of those things. The word of God tells us in Romans chapter eight, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So it's so important that we understand this. Number two is this. Worship is your weapon. Yes, amen. The presence of God went before the people and the sound of worship was heard outside of the walls of Jericho. Yes. Take heart. Be courageous. I'm not facing what you're facing, but the stuff I've faced has seemed insurmountable to me. It's in moments like that, that we actually have a bigger temptation to not worship, 
to not fellowship with the saints, to not read the word of God, to not pursue our disciplines in, in knowing him deeper and more. Listen to what Joshua or what Moses told Joshua in Deuteronomy 31 verse 8. He said, it's the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Because you're going to have a temptation to be fear, to be in fear or to be dismayed. But you shouldn't because God goes before you. He knows what you face on the day to day. He knows the trouble in your marriage. He knows the issue at your job. He knows the problem you have with your finances. And God told Moses to tell Joshua. And I am here to tell you today, this scripture can be a promise that you hold on for yourself. It is the Lord who goes before you. This has helped me in the season I just came out of. And praise God that season's over. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So we tend to not worship when we're facing a big battle. But I'm telling you, church, worship is your weapon. When we worship God, walls fall. So I say, try it this week. A matter of fact, try it this morning because <laughs> we're going to stand in just a moment and worship team, go ahead and come on up. We're going to worship this morning regardless of what we see in the natural, regardless of the struggle that you face. We're going to worship God instead. Number three is this. Don't stop short of victory. I love what verse 20 says in Joshua chapter six. And it says, and Joshua gave the command and a loud shout. Can you imagine thousands and thousands of people? And it says the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat. If I'm an Israelite that day and I'm trying to put God into a box, the next city or problem I face, I might just try to shout at it and make it go away. God didn't use the same process in every place. But I'm here to tell you, the same thing happens in every moment of victory. The Ark of the Covenant went before the people in order to demonstrate that God was with them. It was a physical reminder. And we don't have a physical reminder. But the Bible says, if you're a believer, that the Spirit of God lives in you. And he bears witness to give you that reminder. So don't stop short of your victory. God hasn't called you this far to make a fool out of you. I'm preaching to myself from six weeks ago. God has not called you this far to make a fool out of you. And he's not about to make a fool out of himself. And you carry the name of the Lord. People know you're a believer. And when you're struggling through something, they want to know that the God who you say you serve is worthy to be served. And I'm here to tell you, if you stop short of victory or you short circuit it by not obeying what he said, then we're not going to be living in that place of victory. The victory you need is just on the other side of that giant, insurmountable, monstrous, larger than life, bigger than big obstacle that you face. But your God is so much bigger. He's never been defeated. I want you to stand with me today. And I want you to take heart in this message. The Israelites walked through Jericho and they devoted to destruction all that was necessary to do. And God continued to go before them to lead them throughout the entire promised land. 
until the days when they were able to divide up the land according to the tribes of the people of Israel. God has never been defeated and he won't start now. He's not going to start now being defeated. His name is at stake in all that we face because we who are believers are his kids. I don't say that all humans are God's children because they're not. They're only God's children if they've chosen to be God's child, right? So here's the deal. Could it be that your victory is on the seventh day and you're in the night of the sixth night and you're thinking, do I have to pray about this again? Do I have to keep putting on a smile and having a good attitude in the midst of this hardship? Do I have to keep? Yes, because you don't want to stop short of your victory. I say this, persevere for God's sake and for your own sake. Keep on, keep on pressing in and keep on praying. I still pray my brother is not serving the Lord. He lives a life I do not live and I pray for him probably not even as often as I should, but I pray for him. And I'm believing that someday victory will come. Since he was a teenager though, he turned his life away from God and he's walked far in the opposite direction with no human hope of coming home. But I'm reminded every time I pray for him of the prodigal and how that father sat on the porch waiting and looking for that son to come home. And it wasn't the sixth day or the seventh day. It might've been the sixth month that that son finally had it enough and said, I'm coming home, dad. So if you're praying for something and you're asking God to deliver or to break through, your breakthrough is coming. So today we're going to worship like we mean it and worship like we worship the God of all creation who set the stars in place. He created you with a plan and a purpose and he knows what you're going through. Lord, I pray that you would bless your people. This week, I pray that every heart that hears this message would walk in the confidence knowing that breakthrough is your promise to us. Lord, I'm thankful for Joshua and for the people of Israel that brought the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God onto the earth. Because of their obedience, I stand here today still resting in your promise that you keep. So God, help us this week with whatever obstacle we face, whatever wall we've got, help us to worship you and to not stop short.